Hey, well, I think we've got a theme going on here this morning because it, it really, it was the intention that Ruth should be the speaker today. But unfortunately, Ruth still having problems with her voice, so she'd asked if anybody else could step in. Well, because I'm retired, I've got more time available than most other people. So I volunteered last Sunday. Monday morning, I went down with a tummy bug and was hardly out of bed all day. Then on Tuesday, the fridge freezer died, and everything had to be put into the bin. And I won't bore you with the trivial details of the rest of the week, but I did have a, an appointment with the dental hygienist, which is never the happiest place to be. So by the time it got to sort of midweek, I was just beginning to feel the stress that uh, Sarah was talking to us about there. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness me, this is really, I'm starting to feel I'm being got at here. Things were going wrong. The dog barked in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, twice, so you don't get any sleep. And you know when you don't get any sleep, tempers can get frayed. Uh, not too much, I hope. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, I, I sat down and I said, hey, Lord, I really need to hear from you today. I really need some sort of a word. I know it's all trivia compared to what's going on in the world, but if you could just speak. And I've got an app on my phone, like a Bible app, and I just opened it, and the verse said, The Lord is faithful. He will give you strength, and he will protect you from the evil one. And that's just what Lorraine's been singing to us about. He will give you strength. So I am standing here in weakness, but I'm trusting him for his strength this morning. So, yes, as, as Stuart says, we're going to look at breakfast on the beach. And last week, Stuart spoke to us about tales of the unexpected, about the resurrected Jesus appearing suddenly to the disciples in the locked room where they'd been hiding from the authorities. Now, this morning, we're going to look at another tale of the unexpected, it's the third appearance of the disciples, of, of Jesus to the disciples following his miraculous resurrection from the dead. Now, nobody was searching for Jesus after the crucifixion. It just kept popping up and surprising them. And this time it is breakfast on the beach. And we're going to read from John 21, verses 1 to 14. Afterwards... Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there was fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. 
It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So this begins with the word afterwards. After what? So, well, it was after Jesus' ministry and life. It was after the crucifixion. It was after the resurrection, the appearance of Jesus to Mary Magdalene, to the disciples, and to Thomas. And it goes on. It happened this way. I love the way the story begins with, it happened this way. It's a bit like once upon a time, except it's not a fairy story, it's true. And the Bible is so full of good storytelling. And so it happened this way. And you're drawn into wondering, well, what happened? And how did it happen? But it tells us there were seven of the disciples gathered together. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two other disciples. Now, I like the fact that the two others were unnamed. It's good to think that those two represent the numbers of faithful souls whose names are never published, whose good deeds are never recorded, but who Jesus called the same as the others. And Peter says, I'm going fishing, and the others say, we're going with you. So why did Peter, after witnessing the miraculous appearance of the Lord, decide to go fishing? I mean, why? Was Peter turning his back on the Lord? Was he giving up on the being disciple? Was he returning to the familiar? Or was he trying to suppress the memory of the failure when he had denied the Lord before the crucifixion? Personally, I like to think it was more to do with economics. Peter had a wife to support. And while they were following the Lord during his lifetime, their needs had been met by charitable donations. That source of financial support had probably dried up. And fishing was what they knew and how they'd previously earned a living. They were uncertain of what to do next. I mean, what was, you know, what was going to happen? What was Jesus going to do? How were they going to live? What did he expect of them? They just were so uncertain at that point. But that uncertainty contrasts very much with the sense of purpose that they had after Pentecost, which we'll see in a few weeks' time. But for now, they're just uncertain about their future. And we read that on that night, they caught nothing. Now, that just reminded me of a story of an angler who went fishing and he caught nothing. So on his way home, he called in at the fishmongers and he said, could you give me four large fish and could you throw them at me? <laughs> the fishmonger said, certainly, but why do you want me to throw them at you? He said, well, then I can go home and tell my wife I caught them. But the fishmonger agreed, but he said, actually, your wife was in earlier and she said, if you called in, could you make one of them a salmon? Because she was really hoping for salmon for dinner tonight. Now, I don't know much about fishing. My experience is very limited, but my husband used to do trout fishing. And I would take a deck chair, Bible, pen, and a notebook and have a peaceful couple of hours on the riverbank while Colin fished. I don't think I could bring myself to kill a fish, but I certainly enjoyed eating them. When I was young, I had an uncle at Newbiggin, up the Northumberland coast, and he had a fishing boat. What I do know is that fishermen are very superstitious. 
and there are certain things that you can't say or do while on board a boat. On one occasion, my dad, who was not a fisherman, went out to sea with my uncle and a few other men. I'm not sure what the conversation was about, but at one point my dad innocently said, well, I wouldn't swap that for a gold pig. A deathly hush descended on the boat. The fishermen looked at each other. Well, that's it. We might as well turn back now. We'll certainly get no fish today. We'll catch nothing. They glared at Dad, who blushed with shame. A lesson learned. You must not say pig on a boat with fishermen. Now, I don't know whether the disciples were superstitious in any way, but they certainly must have been frustrated and disappointed and weary and perhaps looking for somebody to blame. But they'd been out all night and catch nothing, catching nothing. Spurgeon said, to be a fisherman, a man must expect disappointments. He must often cast his net and bring up nothing but weeds. The minister of Christ must reckon on disappointment, but he must not be weary in well-doing, but must in faith continue in prayer and labor, expecting at the end he will receive his reward. And that's an encouragement for all of us when we've prayed for friends and family for years, invited them along to church, shared our testimony, looked for opportunities to witness in word and deed, and nothing, no response, no change. But we are not to give up. We're to persevere in faith and to keep going. Now we read in verse 4 that early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but they didn't realize that it was Jesus. Now, we're not sure why they didn't recognize him. Perhaps it was the morning mist. Perhaps his resurrected appearance was different. We know that Mary Magdalene didn't recognize him at the tomb. The two on the Emmaus Road didn't recognize him. So perhaps he did look different. But then he calls out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? Some translations say children rather than friends but I read that the better translation of the Greek word is lads, and I like that much better. You know, I can just imagine Jesus with a glint in his eye and a bit of a chuckle saying, lads, have you not caught any fish? The answer being no, because the Lord already knew that. He tells them to cast their net on the other side and he will find some. At this point, they don't know that it's Jesus. So I'm not sure why they did what he was telling them to do. Why did they obey? But they did. But Jesus just had to will it, and the fish would swim into the net. Now, whenever we look at Scripture, we're looking for what we can learn about the character of God. And Tim has been giving those of us on the preaching team some training recently. He's been giving us study books and lectures to watch online. So in every text now, we're looking, what can we learn about the character of our God? And I read this and I thought, Jesus could have been so frustrated and annoyed with them. It already appeared to them in his resurrected form. So why are they wandering off and going fishing? What were they thinking about? What were they doing? But no, you know, you don't see any of that with Jesus. Jesus is so gracious, so compassionate, so understanding of the weakness and frailty of human beings that he doesn't tell them off. In fact, he graciously grants them a huge catch of fish, 153 big fish. 
I'm not sure after having seen the resurrected Lord who bothered to stop and count the fish, but there you are. Now, I'm not sure about the significance of the number either. Some commentators have speculated about that, but I really don't know. All I know is that Jesus was cooking them breakfast. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, there we have John not mentioning his own name again, just calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. It is the Lord. Peter, ever the impulsive one, jumps in the water, swims to shore, while the other disciples bring in the boat full of fish. Jesus says, come, come and have breakfast. Here, here we have God the Son, having taken on himself the sins of the world, having gone to the cross, having conquered death and risen from the tomb. Amazing, all-powerful God. And what does he do? He cooks some breakfast for the lads. I mean, the resurrected Jesus, having conquered death, what could be expected of him now? You see, if he'd been an ordinary man, he could have just disappeared, like those cowboys who ride off into the sunset. Who could forget Alan Ladd in Shane, those of us who are old enough to remember that? Or, like the lone ranger, he could leave them asking, who was that masked man? What could he do after rising from the dead? And the risen, glorified, amazing God cooks breakfast on the beach. So whatever your concept of God has been up to now, let this picture shape your understanding of him. He cooked breakfast. Before his death, he had washed the feet of the disciples. Now, as the risen Lord of Lords and King of Kings, he is still the servant king. It does make you wonder if Peter looked at that coal fire and was reminded of the other coal fire where he previously warmed himself while he denied knowing the Lord. And we'll learn more about this next week. But in Christ there is forgiveness and restoration. No matter how we fall, he welcomes us back into his embrace. Jesus is willing to accept and forgive even after we have let him down time after time even after we have gone fishing. And this breakfast shows that Jesus is concerned about the whole person. The disciples would have been tired and hungry after their night of fishing, so he met their physical needs. But what does this then mean for us today? It seems that as John wrote this gospel, he saw a deeper significance than just a story about fishing. Jesus had previously told Peter and his brother Andrew that he was going to make them fishers of men. And here it seems that the Lord is reminding them of his calling. It's an acted out parable and points to the mission of the church. Jesus died that all might be forgiven. He rose that all may have life. But Romans 10 says, how will they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Recently, the leaders of the church, Paul in particular, has talked to us about what we might do with the chapel building when we get back there. Ideas of how to reach the local community. And I think that we need to be adventurous, innovative, and actually go fishing for souls. I know from watching Colin on the riverbank, that fishermen need great patience. 
with trout fishing, over and over again, it's the casting of the line. It's not sitting still with a line and a hook dangling in the water. It's action. Successful fishermen are patient fishermen, but it's about perseverance. The disciples had to change their tactics to try the other side of the boat. And we also need to be prepared to change our tactics. Without doubt, you know, the gospel, the good news does not change. But perhaps the way we reach out to people in this modern world does need to change. Methods of communication need to change. Damascus Road experiences are rare. And it seems that fish no longer bite in the way they used to. However, if, like the disciples, we do as the Lord instructs us, then we can be assured of a future where souls are saved and the church flourishes. The bottom line is there was something supernatural about the catch that day. It happened not because the fish were there, but because Jesus was there. And really, that's all we need. Amen.